electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with your Dubosa. John Ford's on assignment. Today, a switch in sentiment. Takeaways from the tech earnings as the Nasdaq continues struggles to build on a five-week win streak, which takes us to Pinterest and Take-Two and Activision. A lot more results coming tonight after the bell. Later on, two earnings exclusives with the CEOs of Bill and On Semi, two industries. One warning that a slowdown is here, D. And that is helping to keep the Nasdaq underwater today. But the index, of course, has come out swinging this year, notching five straight weeks of gains. That is its longest winning streak since it reached record highs back in November of 2021. Sentiment was a little different then, though. And this comes despite bumpy earnings from some of the biggest names in tech, including all the mega caps, which we've heard from over the last few weeks. So what can we look forward to for the rest of the quarter, for the year? Joining us now, Macquarie's head of technology research, Sarah Hindlian Bowler. Sarah, thanks for being with us. Um, what's going to be driving the tech trade for the next quarters, for the next year? Earnings were bumpy to week, but the market seems to have taken it in stride. What keeps it working amid higher rates and a weakening macro? Yeah, I think um, the, the market is clearly uh, climbing a wall of worry, so to speak. And I think it just takes into account that you know, the stock market is a future price discounting mechanism. And so a lot of the concerns that we saw surface early on in Q4 earnings were fairly well priced in by the buy side. And so I think what you're seeing is, you know, assets that need to be put to work in a a rising rate environment and people really looking at the software sector and evaluating it and saying it it sure is impacted by the macro, much like other Uh, all the other vendors and players in the market as well. But we continue to believe it's one of the best houses on the block with just a very high base of recurring revenues, great free cash flow generation and improving profit margins. When it comes to cloud and enterprise spending, though, Sarah, it feels like it wasn't all priced in, less resilient than the market thought, at least in terms of those growth rates from the hyperscalers. Has something fundamentally changed in the cloud story here that could lead to weakness later on? I mean, can we still say that we're in the early innings if it's so easy for enterprises to pull back on that spending? So I don't know that it's so easy. I mean, a lot of the... uh, 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 consumption-based products out there, such as the Azure and uh, GCP and AW growth that we saw slowing, is contractually uh, designed, so it's not as easy to cut back. But what these companies did see... But in a consumption-based model, and you heard all the hyperscalers saying that they're actually helping their customers cut back. Yeah, so so it, it it is an area where you can do some cost culling um, immediately, in particular where you're spinning up new workloads into your cloud infrastructure. I think what we also saw were certainly some project delays. But remember, some of this is also 
contractually signed for multiple years of usage. So we did see GCP pull back. We saw it fall from 38% growth to 32% growth in the quarter. AWS dropped all the way to 20% from 27%, which was a steep decel. And Azure fell to 31% from 35% in the prior quarter. And I think what Microsoft noted that's really worthwhile here is they saw slowing in particular in the month of December, where growth rates towards the end of the quarter decelerated closer to 30%. And they're calling for another four or five point decline. So you are seeing some macro pressures here, but you know these are really sizable businesses at scale and they're very diversified. So you would expect and anticipate to see them being impacted by the war in Ukraine and being impacted by, by inflation and rising interest rates. Uh, or, yeah, I was going to say that the Fed might be key among those. I noticed uh, one uh, large uh, macro desk today added a 25 basis point hike to March as their baseline. They say that if we get another jobs print like we got on Friday, then you can start talking about 50s once again. I mean, how, how much is at risk when it, it came to that, that late uh, thesis last week that rate volatility would go down and it would be an all clear to buy tech? You know, I think that there is still risk. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we are still paying attention to the underlying fundamentals. And as you noted, Jay Powell is really determining where the stock market is going and, and you know, what people are willing to pay for growth. Um, you know, the jobs report you noted was so solid, and I was actually very pleasantly surprised by it. So, um, you know, the 25 basis point was certainly a, a breather from, you know, the 50s and the 75s and the other, you know, astronomical numbers that we've been seeing. So um, I think that, you know, we're just going to continue to have to really watch Powell really closely, what he's signaling and what the Federal Reserve is mm -hmm. signaling. But we take advantage of pullbacks in this sector because it is still so well positioned in the overall market and economy to okay. really step into companies that we think are outstanding and want to own. So the earnings that we've had so far, all the mega caps, and as you say, these are diversified businesses. So cloud isn't is just part of the story, even though it is a big part of it. But when we get other cloud and software names, some of the smaller ones, the best of breeds in the coming weeks, what are you expecting? It seems unlikely that they can be as resilient as the hyperscalers. And what do you prefer here, a consumption-based model or a subscription-based one? Yeah, great question. So um, I definitely prefer a subscription-based model right now. I think it's a little bit defensive. And where you do see economic contractions and employment, you'll see that flow through the contracts over multiple years of invoice, invoice regeneration. But yeah, you're going to continue to see the mid-cap and some of the other large-cap software companies that come forth and report results. And I would remind you a good Approximately 50% now are actually closing their quarters in January. So their quarters actually closed last week. So we have several more weeks of earnings in front of us where I expect we're going to continue to have management teams tell us things much like we heard from the hyperscale providers. Things like deals were delayed. Uh, sales cycles have been somewhat elongated. Customers mm -hmm. are optimizing their usage. And this is all very much in line with the work that we did into the quarter and what we found to be true across the overall software space. You did see a slowing in the month of December. But the good news that we did pick up was that some of those deals that slipped into mm -hmm. January have started to close. And we right. saw that, you know, uh, to be the case with ServiceNow in particular.
Right. And some of the other names like MongoDB, Datadog, Snowflake, they have been weaker on the back of the Amazon AWS, Azure results. So we'll see how they report in the weeks ahead. Sarah, thanks so much for being with us. Sarah Hinlian Baller, thank you. Meantime, the big earnings mover tonight after the bell is going to be Pinterest following opposite takes on sentiment from both Snap and Meta last week. Our Julia Borston joins us to talk about those, what those results may bring. We already know about some uh, reports of layoffs, Julia. Yeah, well, Pinterest has been the best performer of the social media stocks, bucking the trend. Looking over the past year, Pinterest shares are about flat, while Meta shares are down 20 percent, Snap's down 70 percent. So now looking ahead to the closing bell and the earnings that are set to be reported, shares are typically volatile. Pinterest shares have popped by double digit percentages after the last four reports, earnings reports, surprised on the upside. So now analysts are expecting to the expecting the company to grow revenue by about 5 percent, while Meta's revenue shrank and Snap's revenue was pretty much flat. Analysts are also projecting that the company will guide to accelerating first quarter revenue growth. Now, all of this hinges in large part on what CEO Bill Reddy says about his roadmap for driving Pinterest's valuable direct response ad business, which enables brands to convert consumers who are searching for products to then make purchases. Guggenheim, with a neutral rating on the stock, writes, quote, digital advertising results from Snap, Meta and Alphabet suggest continued ad pressure. But noting the debate about Pinterest's compelling ad platform, he also notes that the company has had below average user growth. D.A. Davidson also with a neutral rating saying that Pinterest is well positioned to take market share thanks in part to improvements in e-commerce monetization. I'll be talking about all this and more with Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy. That's coming up after Pinterest's call in a first on CNBC interview in Fast Money. Carl? Uh, Julia, I mean, uh, given what... um what Zuckerberg said about uh, monetization efficiency between Snap and Meta. Which do you think is the better analog tonight? Well, look, these are such different companies. Snap is in so many ways a communications company, a tool that people use to stay in touch with their friends, to send videos and and messages back and forth, whereas and also have an entertainment component of that. You watch the entertainment um, when you're waiting for your friend to message back. Pinterest is really a search engine in so many ways. And so I think in a lot of ways, um, it's more comparable to what we see happening with Amazon in terms of the growth of Amazon's ad business. You know, people go to to Pinterest because they're searching for products. They want to buy a new couch. Maybe they're looking for recipes. But a lot of times that search is for people who would be willing to buy something. So there is this great opportunity to close that loop, what they call closing that monetization loop and have someone go from searching for something to making a purchase. We'll see what happens tonight. Not the only big name on deck, that's for sure. Uh, We'll talk soon. Uh, Julia Borston today. D. Still to come on Tech Check, last week we learned that not all chip names are created equal after Intel and AMD reported on semi hitting an all-time high this morning after initially dropping on the report. The CEO will join us next. Plus, check out Bill, the stock coming off its worst day ever. They have a simple warning to investors. Customer spending is a problem. Another earnings interview with their chief executive coming your way in just a little bit. Don't go away. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work.
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Tech Check. Shares of OnSemi, all-time high this morning following this beat across the board for earnings in Q4, although guidance came in a bit weaker than expected. Joining us in a CNBC exclusive today is OnSemi CEO Hassan El-Khoury. Hassan, congrats on the all-time high. I think a lot of this is sort of centered around uh, auto up, I think, 54, right? Can you talk about how some of the silos are doing? Yeah, so uh, thank you. First of all, it's uh, obviously I'll give credit to our uh, worldwide team. It has not been an easy year, but we finished on a, a very high note. We set ourselves up really for a very good sustainable uh, results through even the uncertainty in 23. And that leads us to uh, our performance in automotive. It's been a great year in 22. We do see that outlook strong. I've always talked about how uh, we keep increasing our content, so we're not really uh, uh, sensitive to units of vehicles made, but more on the content that uh, we provide into those vehicles. And that's really playing out nicely in our outlook for 23. You got revenue and gross margins beating here. Is the sense that any kind of cost platform reduction you would need to do is already uh, in progress? Yeah, we've been uh, we've been restructuring the whole uh, company. You know, we've had our transformation, the sort of second year through our transformation. And a lot of it is manufacturing transformation, adding that efficiency into a very complex, historically complex manufacturing footprint. You know, we've exited four fabs. We've added uh, one fab at the end of the year, uh, you know, December 31st. Uh, that sets our, uh, us up for a very good, efficient deployment of, number one, our capital moving forward, but also our existing footprint in order to uh, deliver on uh, incremental uh, number of units in a very fixed uh, manufacturing platform. That gives us that efficiency that from which we can scale. Hazan, it's Deirdre, good morning. Uh, how do you see a potential price war in the EV space playing out? Would that be a benefit or a headwind to your company and auto chips at large? I mean, on one hand, maybe less pricing power with automakers, but on the other, accelerating the consumer adoption perhaps? Yeah, look, I mean, from, from our side, uh, we anchor on, on the value. And what I explained value from the EV specifically that you bring up is uh, range and weight. Those are the two big levers that automotive uh, automakers uh, care about when we are engaging with them. Those two don't change based on demand. There's always value that we put on range for electric vehicles and the weight. So what would help is obviously the volume. We do see the volume increases in EVs, electrification as a mega trend is happening. There are more EV uh, models coming out uh, in 23 than they did in 22 and 22 more than 21. So that incremental adoption of electric vehicle that's going to fuel sales is what we're anchoring on. Okay, and finally, Hassan, I wonder um, what your visibility is into the China economic reopening story. Um, how are you viewing it for this year in terms of both supply and demand? Look, I think it's, it's I look at the, for 23 as a whole uh, macro, obviously China is a, is a big uh, semiconductor uh, market for us, not, not just domestic consumption, but a lot of our customers manufacture over there. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a big uh, exposure for us as far as uh, percent. Most of our revenue does not land and remains in China. However, we are uh, sensitive to uh, to the macro. But macro in general is what I look for uh, when we talk about strategy. We look at what we what we are seeing from an overall macro. And back to what I said earlier, automotive we see is strong. That's a worldwide view. Uh, industrial we see is strong in our core industrial, and then the rest of the market we do see softness. Finally, I wonder if you think the auto business is going to get back to a period where we stop talking about cars that are in the final stage of production but missing that last piece of the puzzle. Is that, is that still sort of endemic uh, to, to the production cycle right now? Look, it's, it's getting better, but, you know, I talked about it on the call a little bit where we're still not – we're still oversubscribed as far as uh, demand versus what we're able to supply. So there's still some of that. The relief uh, for us and for our customers is we've engaged on long-term supply agreements – We've actually increased that number uh, in uh, even the fourth quarter. So we are uh, uh, basically partnering with customers on a very broad range of products we deliver to their end vehicles. You know, I gave some numbers where we have some agreements with 200, 300, 500 parts. That's what's going to alleviate, giving us that visibility so we can build against it versus some really forecast that may or may not happen. So the committed revenue that we put in the long-term supplier that we end up building for is what's helping our customers achieve their uh, their end goal. From where we're concerned, we're making progress. We have areas where we are still oversubscribed, but at least we're uh, delivering to what we're committing to our customers. Wow. Uh, all-time high for a chip name, uh, not exactly uh, happening across the space, uh, but congratulations again on, on, on yours today, Hassan. Uh, hopefully talk uh, soon. Hassan el Khoury, Sami, thank you. Thank you. And after the break, big banks may have a big problem. Check fraud. Up next, a CNBC investigation finds that crooks are using popular messaging platforms to coordinate the crime. And then we'll also get to this downgrade of Lyft ahead of earnings this week. Shares are under pressure this morning, but they've turned it around up six tenths of a percent now. We'll dig into all of it. We're back in two. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Let's get a gut check on Lyft. Haskett calling the top this morning over top line growth concerns, downgrading the stock to a hold with a shortfall in riders during Q4. The chief catalyst there. The firm likes Uber over Lyft in the near term, citing a challenging domestic regulatory environment, which Uber's operations outside of the U.S. should provide cover from. That said, Lyft has been on a tear this year. It's up over 50 percent ahead of earnings later this week. Of course, Carl, this is a stock that has been beaten down not just over the last year, in recent years, the ride-sharing companies never really saw that pandemic um, surge. IPO'd, I think, north of $65, maybe 72 if I remember correctly. Um, there's a lot of questions here in the Valley about what happens to Lyft with a market cap of just over $6 billion. Um, I think it's raised more money than that in its history as a private company. But who could step in and acquire? I believe the company is still, you know, the founders, Zimmer and Green, have voting rights. Um, 
And it just raises questions. It's, if it's losing market share, what happens ultimately? Of course, Uber's not going to be one to be able to take it over, given regulatory landscape. On the flip side, Dee, I know you know Uber very well, and there is this lingering argument that uh, Dara Khosrowshahi needs to kind of show the uh, cost discipline that we've seen yeah. across tech uh, at large. Although clearly, the, I don't know if you watched the Grammys last night, but they've gotten some things going in the marketing department, too, uh, with Diddy. <laughs> Yeah, he is. They are spending on marketing. And I guess it speaks also to this moment where they may be winning market share over Lyft and be sort of that pull away in terms of being the number one ride sharing player. But losses, you're right to point that out, Carl, for both of these companies. Lyft's net loss over the first nine months of 2022, nearly a billion dollars. So we'll see how they add to that um, for the last quarter of the year. Yeah, we'll get those on Wednesday morning. Meantime, America's big banks say they have a huge challenge, and that is check fraud, one of the oldest crimes in finance being supercharged by some of these popular messaging platforms like Telegram. The platform has become a one-stop shop for criminals, from buying stolen checks to hiring people known as walkers to deposit them. Our Eamon Javers has some details. It's a big problem that's getting worse. Paul Benda is the senior vice president of cybersecurity and risk at the American Bankers Association. And he says that paper checks are one of the financial system's weakest points. Would you say that every single bank is experiencing this right now? I think that would be a, a legitimate statement. In 2021, banks reported nearly 250,000 cases of check fraud nationwide. But by 2022, that number skyrocketed to nearly 460,000 cases. That's an 84% increase in just one year. It's concerning. It really is. In many cases, checks are stolen out of blue postal boxes like this one. Then crooks will change the recipient's name and the dollar value of the check using forgery techniques. Next, they'll open an account at a bank in a phony name and hire someone to deposit the check. That's what happened here. This surveillance video from a Florida bank shows an elderly homeless man depositing a fraudulent check. A police report says it was cashed for nearly $3,000. Driving this checking crime spree is a network of organized gangs. They're using technologies like Telegram to coordinate thefts, connecting people who've stolen checks out of the mail with other people who will walk into banks and deposit them. Those people are known as walkers. Let's talk about the term walker. What does that mean? So a walker, you know, is exactly what it says. Someone who walks into a bank that cashes a check. They're kind of your mule to execute the criminal fraud. On Telegram, users can message in private and public group chats. The platform is popular among criminals because they can use an anonymous username and they can encrypt their messages, meaning the police can't trace them. We found group chats with lots of posts from criminals advertising their network of walkers to help other crooks who want to cash out their stolen checks. This particular individual is being advertised as a walker. Maria Noriega is a cyber intelligence analyst at the firm Q6, which is a consultant to CNBC. You can see by the caption here, good walker, that's ready, all spammers tap in, meaning everybody who wants to like, get with this walker to contact the, the threat actor that has uh, posted this. So this is a criminal advertising, hey, I've got this guy. Yes. He's a walker. He's ready to go into the bank and deposit a, a bogus check. Yeah. Call me if you want to use him. Basically, yes. CNBC reviewed dozens of advertisements and requests for walkers on Telegram. Some crooks asked for specific genders. Others wanted someone elderly. 
And this criminal boasted about buying a new hat for their walker. When I said grooming, this isn't just that they're brushing their hair. You know, a lot goes into trying to make these guys look as legitimate as possible. You can see here, this guy, I think, is getting his hair bleached. This looks like a, this is a dye job here, right? Yeah, it looks it. The big banks say all of this is causing enormous headaches for the industry. We can't do it alone. We really need the Postal Service to, to get better at protecting the mail. We really want law enforcement to step up their game and prosecute more of these cases. Now, the walkers we see advertised on Telegram are often the elderly and the homeless. And it seems clear they're getting the smallest cut of this crime, which can produce some big money. We saw crooks posting receipts for more than $20,000 in some cases. Now, Telegram says it proactively moderates public channels and bans any that violate its terms of service. We also see claims by the crooks that they're getting help from what they call innies or insiders at the banks and the Postal Service who are helping those gangs get away with it. To stop this fraud, the U.S. Postal Service says it's been actively educating the public about how to prevent check theft. Back over to you, Carl. Uh, Eamon, it kind of raises the question of whether or not check use is antiquated or what percentage of Americans use checks, especially in the mail. You know, that's the same question I had going into this story, because you think, you know, everyone's using PayPal or Venmo or whatever. And you do see that the number of checks in the mail has declined over time, certainly over the past 10 years. But actually, the value of those checks is still relatively high because people aren't sending five dollar checks anymore. They're using the apps for that. But the rent check, the business check, all those things are still circulating in the mail. So the average value of the checks that are still out there is higher than it was maybe a decade ago. Yeah, I'll bet you every viewer watching right now knows exactly what you're talking about when it comes to that, that, that change. Fascinating, Eamon. Uh, thank you. That's our Eamon Javers. Thanks, Carl. To your point, Carl, I had never written or cashed a check until I moved to the U.S. about seven years ago. Coming up on the show, <laughs> the ethics and earnings implications of ChatGPT. That's next. Plus, more job cuts in tech as Dell slashes 6,500 jobs. Tech Check continues after a quick break. Stay with us. A couple hours into the trading day, it's good to look at the markets and see how we're doing today. Stocks are off the worst levels. We had a bit of a cautious open, but you see the Dow now shaving what was about a 200-point loss down to 54 points today. Some of the big movers at this hour, the China Internet ETF, the K-Web, falling more than 3% on pace for its sixth negative day in seven. Pinduo Duo, Alibaba, Baidu among the worst performers there. Tyson did get hit as EPS and revenue and operating income were all misses. Margins pressured by falling beef prices may be good news for consumers. And RH among the worst performers today after recent stating EPS for the last three quarters following this calculation error. Company also lowering its previous full year guidance. We're going to watch that down 7%. Contessa Brewer's got a news update today. Hey, Contessa. Hi there, Carl. Here's what's happening right now. In Ohio, officials are trying to prevent derailed train cars from exploding and launching deadly shrapnel as far as a mile away. The National Guard has been called in to help enforce an evacuation zone around the crash site. Some 2,000 people have been ordered to leave that area. Newmont is one of the biggest decliners on the S&P 500, down 4% after making a $17 billion bid for Australian gold miner Newcrest Mining. Despite today's drop, Newmont shares are still up 16% over the last three months. And the National Enquirer has been sold to a group including the former chairman of MoviePass, Theodore Farnsworth. Farnsworth has been charged with securities and wire fraud following the MoviePass meltdown. Terms of this deal weren't announced, but the New York Times reports Farnsworth says the price was a little less than $100 million. We'll watch that. Deirdre. 
Contessa Burra, thanks very much. Let's turn now to the arms race for AI as big tech's response to ChatGPT just dominated earnings over the last few weeks. Microsoft doubling down on its investment in its parent open AI, while Alphabet mentioned the term AI over 50 times on its last earnings call, while telling employees to shop competitors. UBS thinks ChatGPT could threaten Google's margins in the interim. Joining us to explain is the UBS analyst himself, Lloyd Walmsley. Um, Lloyd, first break down this stake that Google took in a chat GPT rival, uh, Anthropic, does it raise doubts about what Google is able to build itself organically? I thought it sort of already had its own chat GPT in-house. Yeah, it's a great question. It does seem a little bit odd given everything we've heard is that Google has the best technology out there. Uh, so I think it's largely just hedging their bets. You know, it's the other thing that, that struck us is they have been making investments in companies that migrate to the GCP uh, cloud business. So it may just be a way of ensuring that Anthropic runs on GCP uh, and, and the amount of money is peanuts for a company like Alphabet. Right. So maybe a defensive move then, I guess, is what you're kind of implying. Um, Lloyd, how do you ultimately monetize these tools. Um, I think you're saying that ChatGPT maybe poses a risk or generative AI poses a risk for Google in the short term because they may not be able to monetize it as well. Is it through licensing ultimately, or can you still make advertising dollars off of such a product? Yeah, I think when you think about the industry as a whole, there's three ways you monetize. There's the models and licensing the models. They're building apps on top of the models. And then there's basically powering the models with a cloud platform. Uh, Google has a chance to participate in all three. Um, and then, of course, they are already using this technology to improve uh, the search on the advertising side. So they'll also monetize it that way. I think our, our near-term concern on Google is that they, they will have to push this out faster than they'd like because of competition which could be in the short term disruptive to monetization as it displaces ads on the page. And then it's expensive to serve. Um, it uses a lot of compute resources. So those are our near term concerns. But the long term, uh, they could end up spinning out new businesses on the back of this. That's interesting. Yeah, we have heard about sort of concerns about operating margin if, if their hand is forced to maybe move faster than they had planned. I have two questions, Lloyd. One is, um, is there anything externally through M&A you see them shopping for in this area, or is, is regulation just too intense at the moment? And do you expect uh, Sergey and Larry to move the needle internally on this stuff? Yeah, I think they're hamstrung on, on m and I think they, they are, um, there's so much scrutiny from the DOJ and FTC. I think that's not gonna be a, a, a valid strategy for them here or, or anywhere. In terms of Larry and Sergey, I think that the role they play in, in all these internal decisions is helping the company make bolder decisions and take more risk. They're the control shareholders. You know, you need their blessing, I think, to, to do things, particularly if things are disruptive to financials in the short term, you kind of want their sign off. And then look, these guys are legends. They've been through a lot of uh, transitions. They're good to have on, on mm -hmm. the team making, making these hard decisions. Lloyd, outside of the mega caps, Microsoft, Google, even Meta, what they're doing with artificial intelligence, um, are you seeing a bubble emerge? I mean, I take a look at a stock like C3AI. It's up 150% this year. Has anything fundamentally changed? Have they always been sort of on the forefront here 
and now they're sort of being recognized for it. What do you think beyond the mega caps? Um, what are some good names here and what should investors also be a little bit cautious of? Yeah, so that, that name's outside of my coverage. I can't, I can't opine there. In terms of our explicit uh, coverage, there's, there's nothing that looks too frothy at the moment. I, you know, the press, the press coverage and, and, you know, there's clearly um, potential for that. But, you know, I think the, the best analogy we've heard is this is kind of like when the App Store came out uh, and the iPhone was introduced and you had a, a browser, a calendar and an email app and you didn't really know what was going to get built on the platform it, it's that early. So, you know, I think it's a little bit um, premature to, to think that it's over overhyped. Uh, hmm. and yeah, I, that's that. Wow. It's, it's just too early. Premature to think it's overhyped. OK, um, well, there's a lot of hype going on. Lloyd, thanks for your insights, as always. Talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Coming up after the break, a $16 billion deal in banking. The CEO of BMO is coming up with us. Plus, uh, an earnings exclusive with the CEO of Bill. Why the stock cratered despite a big earnings beat as the Dow continues to try to get back to the flat line. Back in a moment. Earnings season hit the halfway mark on Friday. Fintech companies Affirm and PayPal, they were on deck this week. And ahead of those reports, I sat down with Bank of Montreal CEO Daryl White. The company just closed a $16.3 billion deal to acquire Bank of the West, the biggest acquisition ever by a Canadian bank. White tells me that a larger San Francisco footprint will help accelerate their digital shift. It was a big attraction actually yep. for us. So we've had a business here in California for a very long time, but not with the scale that we pick up as we step in with the Bank of the West today. And here you and I are in the Bay Area. It's been really exciting actually. I've been here for a few days. I've been spending time with clients, with our customers. I've been in Southern California. I've been up here. And I think that ecosystem is really valuable as we think about what we're trying to generate. When we talk about a digital mm -hmm. first bank, we mean it. And it's really at the end of the day, not about the product first, it's about the talent first. I also asked him if fintechs themselves were looking more attractive, given their valuations have come down so much. White said that they will continue to partner with tech, but they're going to build organically. I don't think picking up a fintech is high on our priority list because effectively over the past 10 years, we've been working together with fintechs. We've got lots of partnerships with fintechs and it's allowed us to be better. So we really do believe in a better together model. So never say never, but I would say pretty unlikely that you'd see us step in an acquisition mode to fintech. Mm. But we are hiring. We also talked about the macro, of course. White says that there's cushioning in the housing market, but geopolitics and the broader economy, they are concerning. The notion that the Canadian banks are a proxy for the housing market is a little bit shallow because it's a pretty... Um, it's not the majority of the lending exposure of any bank that I'm aware of and certainly not the one that I represent. And so when you look at the structural protections that you have in a mortgage book in Canada, there's a lot of buffer for a down a downdraft in the mar in the housing market. We're seeing a little bit of that right now, but there's a lot of there's a lot of cushion and it's not I got a lot of things that keep me up at night, but it's not at it's the top not of It's not the list. Canadian no. housing market. So no. what does keep you up at night? Yeah, the 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 economy generally as we uh, as we talk about on on in conversations like this every day, um, geopolitics, uh, but as far as the platform that we're running and the choices that we've made to invest in North America first, I'm pretty confident. So Carl, the stakes for BMO's digital products, they are high because with this acquisition, $16 billion plus, it puts them in 30 plus states. 
Many of those markets, not a very large branch footprint, so they have to reach the consumer, keep them as customers through a digital product. And it kind of ties into Eamon's story that we were talking about earlier with so many in the U.S. still using things like checks. How do you transition that demographic to um, banking online, which we know that other banks have had trouble with? We look at Goldman's Marcus product. It hasn't always been that easy. Yeah, it reminds me of what fintechs used to say about the non-banked or the underbanked, or we're going we're gonna to save them. It's a far cry from that, that time last, really just last year, D, where you had legacy financials kind of on the run. As for housing, a great piece in the journal today about how rates have come from seven to six, and that's already warming up the housing market, at least in the U.S., Yeah. And when it comes to the Canadian market as well, I would just say that it didn't see the same kind of correction in 08, 09 as the U.S. market did. So that's why I think for Canadian banks, that may be a more interesting question, maybe a bigger risk. But as he said, it doesn't keep him up at night. He thinks there's cushioning. Yeah. uh, Great, great macro radar. Good interview there. Uh, Coming up next, an earnings exclusive with the CEO of Bill. That stock cratering more than 25 percent today. Despite this earnings beat, we're going to try to figure out why after the break. Let's take a look at Bill. Shares are rebounding today after those losses of more than 25% on Friday. A weak outlook overshadowed a beat on earnings and a beat on revenue. This discussion of a weakening consumer spend during the quarter has been a main focus for investors across the space. A different story from what we've been hearing from payment companies. Think about MasterCard saying consumer spending has remained resilient, or perhaps Visa's Al Kelly saying the pulse of the consumer is normal and healthy and very stable. Of course, Amex seeing the highest ever quarterly card members spend. Here to discuss in an exclusive interview is uh, Bill founder and CEO, Renee Lassert. Renee, it's great to have you back. Thanks for the time. You did mention last week these sort of atypical spending patterns, at least among uh, businesses, December kind of strange. Uh, Do you have theories as to what's going on? Well, thank you, Carl, for having me on the show. It's always good to be on the show. And I think you're right. Like We had very strong financial results, uh, 66% year-over-year growth in revenue. And we flipped from a net, non-GAAP net loss last uh, June of, up to non-GAAP net profit of 19% this quarter. So with those results, it was the outlook that we talked about. And what we have is, I mean, just a little bit of context for the audience out there, at Bill, we're creating a category that defines how business gets done. We're automating the financial operations for businesses. And as a result of every, doing all the AP and AR and spend management that small businesses have, we have a unique data asset that allows us to see exactly how businesses are thinking about their spend. And we started talking about this two quarters ago where businesses were starting to pull back their spend. And what we saw in Q2 for us, which was the December quarter, we saw that spend was actually less this quarter than it was in the prior year. So businesses are preparing for this, you know, whatever the malaise is in the economy, this macro uncertainty that's been prolonged for so long is impacting businesses. And so from our perspective, we gave you know an outlook that showed that we expect that to persist for several quarters. And we think that's an, you know, obviously something that businesses are going to have to deal with. But it is something that we also know that it's just a point in time. Businesses are digitally transforming their operations. They're using the bill platform. And there's an opportunity to make that happen as we move out of this malaise. Yeah, no, I, that makes sense. So sort of these tactical moves short term and longer strategic shifts uh, over the, the longer term. I do wonder, we mentioned some of the, the credit card companies, the consumer facing companies talking about resilience. Would one reasonably expect small and medium sized business spending to crack before the consumer? 
You know, I think one of the ways I think about this is that as a business, you have people that are thinking about the macro environment. Now, obviously, the larger the business is, the more you have that are the more people you have that think about that. But SMBs do think about this. They have food to put on the table for their employees, for their families. They have customers they want to serve. And so they can't just turn a blind eye to what's happening out in the markets. They have to think about it. With all the announcement of tech layoffs out there, all the announcement of interest rates going up, the supply chain challenges we've had, all of that weighs on, I think, the SMB. Mm -hmm. So I do think businesses prepare long before consumers prepare. Yeah, Renee, we certainly saw that in the cloud numbers over the last few weeks as well. In terms of the consumption story, though, I wonder what you and the companies you serve are seeing that may be different than some of the larger payments companies. Um, Al Kelly talked about stable, even boring consumption trends. Um, obviously, in the SMB space, it's a little bit different. But what are you seeing? And is that starting to move upstream in terms of your total payment volume being a little softer this year? Yeah, thank you, Deirdre, for the question. So in general, what we have seen is that Businesses are managing their business. They're using the platform. And one data point we have on that is the number of transactions in a quarter has stayed relatively constant, 77, 78. It's been pretty constant over the last few years. And what that tells us is that they are bringing the spend down because you're right, the total payment volume on the platform is not growing as fast. And like we said, on a per customer basis was less this quarter than it was in the prior year. So businesses are managing spend. They're figuring out where to go, and it starts with discretionary. I think we talked about it a few quarters ago, starting with advertising, which isn't really a surprise. And it's kind of extended to areas of variable spend where they do have the ability to control using the platform to kind of manage the insights that they have and be able to manage their business to be prepared for whatever's ahead. Renee, how are you man managing spend um, at Bill? Your stock-based compensation more than doubled from a year ago. Uh, what are some of the levers you can pull, and does that ultimately come back down? What does that mean for your free cash flow? Yeah, that's a great question, Deirdre. And so for us, we've done a couple of acquisitions, and the acquisitions, we had some retention grants for employees to really make sure that we integrated well, and that has all gone very well. But those retention grants really did impact our stock-based costs over the last year or so. Uh, we will be lapping those retention grants in the next year. In addition, we will be lapping the four-year anniversary grants from the IPO, pre-IPO stock that we gave employees. And so all of that means that our stock-based comp will continue to go down. And, and our, our view, you know, the long-term trend is to, to get this below 20%, which is where peers would be in general. Uh, we'll have you back, Renee, to hopefully talk more about the pace of small business creation in this country last couple of years, which has been, by some measures, uh, pretty historic. But appreciate the time today. Thanks very much, Renee Thank Lassard, you both. over Take at Bill. Care. And add another to the list of tech companies cutting workers, Dell slashing more than 6,000 jobs thanks to, quote, an uncertain market future. That story's next, plus today's biggest earnings after the bell. Tech Check is back in just a moment. It is game night tonight. Earnings after the bell. Both Activision, Blizzard, and Take-Two are set to report. EA's dismal results last week, though, remain top of mind for investors. Our Steve Kovac has a lot more on what to expect tonight. Hey, Steve. Hey there, Carl. Yeah, it's all about mobile gaming, which has been on decline over the last few years. So we're talking about Take-Two and Activision tonight. We already know mobile gaming has been hurt by the App Store sales for um, Apple and Google. But look, we saw it 
uh, a bit last week with Electronic Arts, like you said, unexpectedly canceling those two major mobile games after this downfall. And look, let's talk about Take-Two. They lowered guidance for the December quarter because of that weakness in mobile gaming, plus foreign exchange headwinds and some delays in expected game releases. And then on the Activision side, it's all about mobile, too. That's really why Microsoft is trying to buy this company for $69 billion. But just this weekend, more doubt injected into the deal of closing. New York Times reporting Microsoft's legal team doesn't think UK regulators will actually approve the deal, even if Microsoft offers remedies and concessions. Now, Microsoft did not have a comment when I asked about that, but mobile is where all the growth and vast majority of gaming profits come from. And as spending there falls, it makes this Activision deal look more expensive than ever. And take a look at Activision shares. They're down about over 3% now and far below the $95 a share Microsoft has offered, about 30% off that, Carl. Guys, I'll send it back to you. Steve, you know, I'm just interested in your thoughts on Microsoft in general. Uh, we know, obviously, how important this deal is to them. Uh, they told us it was going to take a while. But since then, uh, the bubbling up of the OpenAI partnership, ChatGPT, this new edition of Bing that we're all waiting for, I just wonder, do you think it's becoming a smaller priority over time? They're talking about it less, Carl. I mean, everyone there still says we want to get this deal done. It's important to the company. I think as recently as a few weeks ago, Xbox boss Phil Spencer was doing interviews in the trade press for video games saying we're all in on this deal still. But yes, it does look more expensive than ever. And we do know where they're also putting their investment with that fresh $10 billion into open AI. And this really, uh, there's just more energy behind their AI push right now than talking about cloud and gaming. But still, they want to get this deal done. And, and if they can't, let's say this regulate, the UK regulators say no to it, it's a $3 billion break fee as, a, as opposed to paying $69 billion in cash. Steve Kovac, Steve, thanks so much. Thanks. One more thing before we go. Dell adding to the growing list of tech firms slashing jobs, announcing a reduction plan to trim 5% of its workforce and a new memo to employees. That is more than 6,500 jobs, bringing Dell's headcount to its lowest in six years. Co-COO Jeff Clark blaming soft PC demand and economic and market uncertainty, saying, quote, the steps taken to stay ahead of the downturn impacts, which enabled several strong quarters in a row, are no longer enough. Share citing nearly 4% this morning on the news. Um, as we get into unprofitable tech earnings season, Carl, you're going to hear more <laughs> calls for cuts, for efficiency. Brad Gerstner tweeting this morning uh, that now is the time for Uber to double down on efficiency. Maybe still the king of unprofitable tech here. <laughs> Yeah, Uber, that man, is. Brad's, Brad's been the cost police over the last couple of quarters. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 